Welcome to episode 92 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Chris Campbell. Chris is the Performance Sport Manager at Nottingham Trent University in the UK, where he oversees 11 performance programs across various sports. He also has head coaching roles at Hinkley RFC and Leicestershire Men's Senior 15. Most importantly, he is the under-7s coach at Stowe on the Wild, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Yeah, no worries. We'll, we'll get to the under sevens coaching role. I always finish with the most important part. So <laughs> yep. we'll, do, we'll do that at the end. So uh, let's kick things off with a bit of your backstory on your playing career. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Not the longest, not the longest thing. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I was, I started playing when I was 11 years old. Um, which funnily enough came around talking about it recently because my son's just played his first game and he was asking me when my first game was and mm. I could hardly remember it. Um, so my first club was Basingstoke, uh, which was a, at the time a relatively successful club down the, down the southeast of England, progressed through the, the Colts and, and academy setup sort of there um, before going on to before going on to sixth form college where I captained my my first 15 um, and then I sort of went up to went up to Loughborough and like many people going to Loughborough um, mm. in this country you know the the leading rugby university in this in, in, in this country leading sports university in this country had the dreams yeah. of making the university sides um, and for me that didn't happen quite mm-hmm. rightly being mm-hmm. being honest I wasn't good enough I, I didn't deserve I wouldn't have deserved to get selected and then I hit then I then I hit a bit of a crossroads and uh, played a little bit for the local rugby club played a little bit of halls rugby went back and forwards to continue playing some club rugby as, as well at a, a different club um, and then it very abruptly came to an end there when the, when the coaching path came calling really yeah right and what were those first coaching experiences like and what, what, what are your memories well, my, my very first coaching experiences was um, in 2006, also 15 years ago now, when I got, I've had a lot of luck in, in my work career, I'll, I'll happily admit that. And uh, I got called in, I remember it distinctly, I got called into the office of the head of PE at uh, my sixth form college, Farnborough Sixth Form in, in Hampshire. And for some reason, I never know why, they decided to create a uh, support assistant co- uh, post. So basically someone who goes around doing their photocopying, organizing their cones, you know, that sort of thing for a year. <laughs> and I was finishing sixth form and yeah. I had no idea what I was going to do. I turned down my university places. I was in a real crossroads and they said, you fancy coming to do this job? And I was like, yeah, right. I like this college. I like being around him and mates are still around. I'll do it. And Really fortunately, the master in charge of rugby at the time was also fairly senior in the college and so didn't have the time to be able to commit to it as much as he would want to. Mm. And so having been first team, first team captain the year before, he said, well, you know, do you want to do a lot of the coaching on the, of, of the men's team? Um, and I haven't got time to coach the women's team. So would you like to coach that team? Um, and so really it just started, it just started, started from there. So that was my, that was my first experience. Um, I distinctly remember some horror shows from those early <laughs> years. I found one of my old session plans a couple of years back. I think it had nine different coaching objectives on it, oh, yeah. covering breakdown, <laughs> line out, scrum, defense in, in, in one session. Uh, I remember our warm ups started an hour and a half before before kickoff, and so you'd run through everything. Mm. And and you know it was, um, but regardless of all of that stuff. I was absolutely, I was absolutely hooked mm. by it. There was just something that I'd never quite, and I was still playing at this point. I was still playing at Basingstoke. I was just taking my first steps into playing senior rugby then as well. 
but there was just something about coaching that hooked me. And I started to look forward to those Wednesdays, which is when our fixtures were a mm. lot more than the Saturdays and Sundays I was, I, I was playing. And although I wasn't saying then I want to be a coach, it was like, this is quite cool. I really enjoy this. This, yeah. is, this is fun. So that's where it started really. Yeah, cool. And uh, I keep all my, my coaching notebooks as well. And I casually randomly pull one out for, to find the gold nuggets, but there's not many in there. Lots of cringeworthy stuff in there, but it's all part of the process. So it's, it's all good. All right. We'll get to the rest of your coaching soon, but let's talk about your role as performance sport manager at the university. What, what's that look like on a day-to-day basis? Um, it's a fan, it's, it's a fantastic job. It's a job I'm so, I'm, I'm so fortunate to have. I, uh, so I look after the best way to describe it. Is I look after a really wide multidisciplinary team program, uh, covering, uh, five full-time heads of sports. So they, they're responsible for coaching in their particular sports and also all the other aspects of recruitment club development, um, as well as strength and conditioning staff, physiotherapy, scholarships team. And, uh, and really my role in it, you know, it's such, it's a really big team now there's a there's approximately 50 people in it across across a whole variety of different roles um and, and my role really is is to try and make things happen remove mm. remove the barriers universities are big organizations there's a lot of good things that happen in universities mm. um but there's a lot of process there's a lot of barriers there's a lot of things that have to be worked through and i really see my role is is doing everything i can to allow allow these the, these men and women who are incredibly talented men and women um, to be able to do what they do best, which is which is coach our student athletes, give them a fantastic experience, um, make sure our support services are delivering them, you know, delivering the very best they can, really inspiring their potential, and uh, and and uh, it uh, it has its challenge, it has its challenges like any job does, but uh, but you know, it's it's it's, it's a great role and it, it's very motivating, you know, being able to work with some of the people that I do. Yeah, and getting that snapshot of 11 different programs and different sports must be uh, pretty cool and pretty inspiring. What are some of the sports that are doing some really cool things? Well, I've, um, we're, do, we're doing some really cool things in, in football at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, we are, we're really working hard to try and um, to add uh, within, within our little area of Nottingham, uh, of Nottingham uh, try and open up a, you know, a new pathway for students to exit universities into the professional game, which is not something that really happens. So mm. we're working really closely with Lincoln City. Okay. Um, who are a League One club uh, in this in in this country, and uh, we've got a pathway with them where we're working really hard to recruit uh, players who've been released from football academies mm-hmm. um, and bring them into the university system. Something which doesn't traditionally happen. Partnering up with Lincoln so they can keep, if they're good enough, keep training within a professional club pathway to maybe after two or three years look and, and Lincoln might have a look and see if there's an option for them. But at the same time, getting them to play some semi-pro football, so that's that's a, that that that's pretty cool. Um, but we're also doing some. I mean, there's, I, I I can't list everyone in netball. I'm doing some. We're doing some really interesting stuff with some of the uh, national uh, national super league netball super league franchises. Right. So we've got uh, we've got a number of players who are in our in our scholarship cohort who are playing for for Loughborough Lightning at senior under 19 under 21 level but you're right the variety you mentioned is what makes the job so good you know i can with it within a day i can have i can have discussed aspects of 10 different sports 10 mm. different pathways um and it they're all they're all slightly different um but it's it, it keeps it keeps you it keeps you going and it keeps you focused and it keeps you on the ball definitely yeah nice 
All right. What about coaches in the community game who'd like to bring some of the components of a performance environment to their context? What kind of advice would you give them from your experiences? I think you've got to be really realistic. Yeah. Be really realistic about what you can do both with your time, Mm -hmm. but also with the player's time. Um, Because because within within the community game, you get players for a snapshot of their week. Yeah. Right? And universities is kind of the middle ground to the professional game. Universities, you get players for a, more time than you would in the community game, but not quite as much you get in a full time environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so so what what I try and do is try and I, try and identify what are the things which are going to make a difference in the environment that you are in. Mm. Um because you could say you want to have S&C, physio, psychology, nutrition, video analysis, but quite frankly, you haven't got time in two and a half hours a week to, to get all those things, those, those things over, especially when players might not have any extra time to contribute away from it because they're doing, you know, 12 hour days in work and, and yeah. whatnot. But the only way you're going to find that out is by understanding your players and understanding the people that you're working with. Hmm. Um, so you've got to, you've, you've got to really try your best to get to know them. And once you've done that, you can help them identify, you know, identify their needs and coaching is coaching is really hard from that point of view. Cause when I started my job at Nottingham Trent, which, you know, seven years ago now, basically I had a free run at three to six months of getting to know the program getting to know mm-hmm. the people working yeah. things out making a ton of mistakes i mean we still mm-hmm. make mistakes now but making a ton of mistakes when you go into a coaching job you could be sacked after three to six months you yeah. know it's very hard <laughs> to stand back and see what's happening yeah. because you're suddenly on the grass doing it so i don't for a second say that's an easy thing to no. do in the coaching yeah. environment because it's really because it's really not but if you understand your players and you understand your people, you've got half a chance of them working out what are the right interventions to put into place to support them. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think profiling that group is so important because it, it reminds me of my first couple of years of coaching, whereas I came in with the philosophy that we are going to win and we're going to win cups and we're going to win championships. Yeah. And I basically just skull dragged the entire group with me. But, you know, I, a lot of those guys mightn't have wanted to do that. They some some left and some stayed on, and yeah, we did have success. But it was a means to an end. But it wasn't. It wasn't. The, if I had my time again, it would have been a lot more. Uh, well, it's not. It's not just the people. It's not just the people as well. Mm. It's it's about understanding the club and what and what your club wants. Yeah, because, I was going to talk about that. The alignment with your with your executive yeah. is important. What well, one of my in coaching, one of my one of my greatest successes was also probably in hindsight, one of my greatest failures Mm. in the fact that my first real coaching opportunity, um, you know, when I was at Loughborough is I was, I mean, at the age, at age 20 or 21, I took over as head coach of Loughborough town rugby club uh, who play in the Midlands divisions of the RFU structure over here. And we had, and there was it was a talented group of players and we supplemented with a few university guys. And uh, in my second season there, we got we we got we got promoted, you know, from Midlands two to Midlands one, something the club mm. had been trying to do for a really, really long time. Um, and it was amazing. You know, everyone involved was really into it. We built a real strong identity and, and belonging about it. And the whole club was involved, you know, mm. minis and juniors, pa- parents, wives, girlfriends, the whole lot. Right. And it was great. 
However, what we didn't do was we didn't consider what was going to come after that. Mm. And we didn't. And although we, we all, everyone involved had a fantastic time for, for a year or so, did it help the club in the long run? You'd have to ask them. I'm not, I'm in hindsight, I'm not entirely sure it did. Um, and it's, I'm going to be honest with you, it's something I've never really spoken to the people at the, at, at, at the, at the, at the club about. But uh, I think that's the sort of thing where I probably, in that, at that time, didn't, hadn't taken into account as much what was the right thing for the club as opposed to what was the right thing for the group of people that were, that were involved at, at that particular time. Yeah, no, it's important and lots to think about for coaches there. All right, on, on to your role with Hinkley RFC. How did you get first get involved with that club and, and what were those first couple of seasons like? Um, so I, I'd, done three years at, I'd done three years at Loughborough and, mm. uh, I, and, and I, wanted to, I, I wanted to push myself on into an environment where I'd really be stretched because I was very conscious, you know, as I, as I said at the start, I don't have much of a playing background. Mm. And I need in it, and I want it, and I love coaching. I want to develop as a, as, as a coach, and I need to push myself on. So I basically just got just sent a speculative email to all the clubs at National Two and National Three level around where we were living, um, and Hinkley were the ones who who got back to me. Um, Paul Walsh, who was the director of rugby um, at the time. Um, basically said, look, you know, we're not going to give you, we're not going to give you any money. Um, but if you want to come and be part of a, of a coaching team, um, then you're welcome to, to come along and see how it goes. That's literally what happens. I just, mm. I went over and joined a coaching team and, and didn't really have a particular role, to be honest. He basically mm. just, and, you know, um, and see what happens. And, and a whole load of circumstances happened with other coaches moving on for a variety of reasons. Meant I ended up becoming the head coach essentially by default because mm. there was nobody else left yeah. <laughs> within a very short period of, I think, I think um, it was Homer Simpson. I, Homer Simpson said defaults, the greatest word in the English language. It was, it basically <laughs> did happen by default. There's yeah. no other way to, to, to describe it. Um, and look, don't the first, the first couple of seasons were really, really tough. Mm. And, and that is kind of where I think every, you, you, there's a saying, isn't there that when you're 20, you know, everything. And when you're 30, you know, nothing. <laughs> and I definitely, I definitely felt, I definitely felt in that period of time in my mid twenties, I went from feeling like I knew everything to knowing absolutely nothing. And it was really, really hard. And it, and, and, and it was hard because well, I'm going to be really honest. I didn't know as much as I thought I did. Mm. I really didn't know as much as I thought I did. Mm. And I had to go away and I had to learn and I had to study and I had to listen and I had to find things out and I had to absorb what the players were saying and doing. And I was really, really fortunate. I've got a lot to thank Paul for because most of other clubs would probably have got rid of me or found, mm. found, a, way, found a way to send me off to do some, something else. But he was, he was prepared to stick with me. He mentored me. He supported me. I'm sure he did a lot behind the scenes I didn't know about to mm -hmm. you know to, 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 help, to help supporting and then I you know eventually over time you know we, we developed a really really strong relationship with him as a director of rugby me as me as the head coach um, and and over time the squads the squad grew and and you know we got to the point where we managed to get promoted from 
from Midlands three up into up and in, up into National two, which is where we're which is which is where we're sitting now. Um, really, but yeah, I've got a lot. I've got a huge amount to thank him for. If he hadn't have been prepared to stick with me, I'm not. I, well, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be coaching at Hinkley right now. Let's put it that way. Mm. All right, that's really cool, and you know that's important uh, to have those kind of people in the back room who are you know supporting you and that you can trust 100. Somewhere in that journey too, you took some time out from your coaching role at Hinkley, and we bounced a few emails back and forth as we we're setting up this interview and. I found that a really cool topic that you proposed to talk about in terms of coach well-being. Can you talk to me a little bit about why you took that time out in 2016-17 and what you gained from that in terms of your own well-being as a coach? Yeah, so at the end of the 16-17 season, so I'd been I'd been coaching at Hinkley for five years mm. and I'd done three years at, at Loughborough before that. So I'd done eight seasons on the bounce, you know, and in that, and basically in that time, that basically took up my whole of my 20s. Mm. Um, and in that time, I'd gone from being a university student to being being married with two kids you know uh, you know a job a job with with a lot of responsibility um and being really honest i was just i was meant i was spent basically mm, yeah um you know I'd, i i i you know and i just and and i didn't enjoy i wasn't enjoying what i was what i was doing but you know mm-hmm. by, by the end of it um and it was, and, and, and that pressure was just becoming, you know, increasingly hard. I wasn't as motivated to do the work I needed to keep improving myself as, mm. as a coach. Um, you know, the, it was stimulating being at the level. It was the year we'd got, we'd got promoted. Um, and then, then alongside that, you know, we, we decided to move house around the same time. My kids were, were quite young. They were three and one at the time. And it was just a whole multitude of things yeah. going I need I need to take a break from this consistent Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday run, plus all the other work you have to do, you have to do around it. Um, And I, I, I knew I knew I knew it was the right decision on the very first day of the next season, actually. And I was so I was actually I was with a good friend of mine at uh, watching Henley um, play. Um, I went to the dinner there and, and, and had a few drinks and watched the game. And although I was really intrigued with what Hinkley was doing, I was checking Twitter. I didn't want to be there. Mm. And that's when I knew that, you know what, this is, this was the right thing for me to take this period of time yeah. away. It also coincided, as I said, with this, with this moving house, my wife getting a new job and, and me wanting to make sure that she was given the opportunity to yeah. you know do what, do what she wanted to do in terms of develop that and not have me rushing around here, there, here there and everywhere and and i just felt if i kept going would i just basically fall out of love with the game completely mm, and, and not yeah. want to go back go back at all uh so it was a real multitude of things which all just came to a head but also you know the day after i told the director of rugby i was going to give up i delivered my best session in probably about 18 months all the players yeah. came up to go that was a great session and i was like <laughs> and I, I hadn't told them by this point and i was <laughs> like the reason huh? <laughs> oh, there's a reason it was my best. There was a reason it was about my best session. Uh, yeah. So yeah, real, real combination of factors, I think. Yeah, no, that speaks to me as well, especially the juggling of family and work. And, you know, sometimes you've got overlapping programs as well. If you're coaching at a high school and then club, and then maybe some rep stuff as well. And before you know it, you all you're thinking about is rugby and you're living and breathing it, which is great at times, but you, you can't do it unless if it's your full-time job. Yeah, sure, maybe. Yeah. But when you have other responsibilities, and especially the kids, I found, I found the travel away, whether I was doing some, you know, 
U17 national stuff where I had to go to the other side of the country for a, a week or it's an away game three hours away and the entire Saturday but your wife's doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah. It's definitely tough. Yeah, it was. And, and, it, and it, it just, it just reached the point where I had to, I had to feel, I had just had to make sure that they had that, they had my time and, uh, you know, and do, and I do not regret it for one second. It was mm-hmm. absolutely the right thing to do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not a fan. I'm not a huge fan of going to things like farm parks and safari parks, and whatever, which is where we ended up going most Saturdays. <laughs> but it was absolutely the right thing. Yeah. And I do not regret doing it at all. Yeah. And you did stay involved though. You still did stay connected. And this is another thing that speaks to me as well is that you can, I I'm doing a lot of coach development now at my club because I don't have the time to be there Tuesday, Thursday, Mm. Saturday, especially post COVID. We know how good we can be with things like zoom and, and how we can, you know, get a little bit of time here and there. So you still stayed involved and connected through doing some analysis work, right? Yeah, I did stay on doing that. And I, I did it because I wasn't entirely ready to lose that connection. Mm. As I said, I was starting to fall out of love with the game. Um, I, I felt coaching wise, I, I was spent. I needed that time away, but I wasn't ready to lose the connection. And I wanted to see, I also wanted to see what it was like being involved in a program, not being a head coach. Yeah. Because basically at Loughborough, I was, I, you know, I was the head coach of Loughborough. And I said within Hinkley very quickly, although I, there's always been a director of rugby, mm. I've always been a head coach. And so this was an opportunity for me to see, well, how do I function and how do I work in an environment where I'm not in that, in that yeah, position? That's important. Um, and so this was a really good way for me, for me to do it, to stay connected to a club I knew and therefore a club where I felt I could still contribute something mm. because I had a real understanding of the club, of, of the players and what was going on, but very much be able to do it on, on my terms, um, you know, when it, when it suited me to do. And like, you know, it was a few years before the Zoom age, of course, kicked in, but do it from my own house behind behind my computer. And when I did my mm. done my few hours on a Sunday night, I was done. I was done for the week. Um, and and I, yeah, I found that I found that really important. Um, and, and, and I did. I did enjoy keeping the connection without the huge commitment which came with it. Yeah. No, it reminds me I, when I interviewed Eddie Jones, he said that coaches should become generalists. Don't specify on, you know, one particular area, become a generalist. And I love being an assistant coach, partly because you've got a lot of those responsibilities removed from your plate, but, but you can, you can exactly that. How do I fit in as a team member? How can I express my views in a, in a way that's still supporting my head coach, but still challenging them? How does this whole machine work? Uh, And how can I really assist in that role? So I think it's a great lesson there. Yeah, and, and and to be honest, the assistant coach field is, is still a role I've never really, I've never really filled. Never, never mm. by design. It's just, it, mm. it, it, it's just the way it plays out. So you know, being the analyst to supporting the director of rugby, the head coach, and the other coaches was the close that I've, that that I've got. Um, and it's something at some point I really do want to fill because I want to. I, I put on a personal level, I want to see how I react to that. You know, I, I'm used to, and I think you do get, you do get used to fulfilling certain roles. Mm. I've been used to running a program, to managing a big team. Yes. You know, I have, I have, I have a manager at the rugby club. I have a manager, you know, in my, in my day-to-day workplace, but they're both very, very hands-off with me. Um, 
so I think at some point I need to fill that assistant coach that position and, and see how I and see how I deliver and deliver that it'll be really interesting when it does happen mm, yeah awesome all right well you're back at Hinkley now when you left you delivered your greatest session ever what was your first session like uh, after having that year break Oh, do you know what? I genuinely can't remember. I, I absolutely haven't. I absolutely haven't got a clue. You'd have to ask the players, to be honest. Yeah. So what, what's it like now? How's the, how are the energy levels coming back after that break? And, and what's exciting you about the role now? Well, I, the reason, the, the, the main reason I decided to go, go back in was I think the people who, so what happened is when I went, the director of rugby also, also left as well. And mm. so a uh, new director of rugby, uh, who was George Shooter, the former Tiger Sucker came in and uh, Phil Llewellyn, who you, you know, on this yeah. podcast, I yeah. think came in, came in as head coach. Um, and um, I, I didn't know George at all. I knew Phil relatively well because we worked together previously. And I think they did a fantastic job in the two years those guys were doing it of evolving, evolving the style of play. Mm. So Hinkley have always been known as being a, um, a very set piece dominated team. Right. And the way the way we were coaching to win games didn't really go away from that. I think the season we got promoted, I think we scored something like 20 scrum penalty tries uh, plus who knows how many pushovers from the number eight's feet. You know, mm. it was a fairly, it was successful, but fairly one-dimensional way of playing at times. Mm. And those two did, a, along with Scott Hamilton, who's now the director of rugby, did a great job of changing that way of playing. And that actually, I started to get really excited watching that because you know, when I was watching the games back, as like, we were playing nowhere near like this. Mm. And so I watched that for a couple of years and, and George and Phil both decided to move on themselves and Scott, Scott Hamilton took over as director of rugby and it was, and we had a chat and it was like, you know, actually the way that Hinkley has changed has invigorated me because now there's a, here's a real new challenge. Mm. Can I take what these other coaches have done and try and, you know, and try and scaffold it to try and build, to, to, to try to try and build it up and to try and take the club on even, even further forward. Um, and, you know, having had the two years away where, you know, I'd gradually started to, you know, want to coach again a bit more. And I think, you know, one good thing about being analysis and analysis is you do become a lot more objective in mm. watching games, yeah. especially when you don't have that connection. And I think that's really helped me as a coach because I can now when I'm there on a Saturday, I see something. And now when I watch it back on the Saturday evening or Sunday, I'm much better at not reinforcing my own biases by looking mm. at the things that I thought were there, which I think is something you learn as analysis. Whereas before I was probably seeing something on Saturday and then looking for the evidence to reinforce that bias. I do it all the time with penalties. I, I see <laughs> yeah. them live and then I watch it back and go, no, nope, got that wrong. <laughs> I'll send yeah. a quick email to apologize. <laughs> and I think being, being the analyst has really, really helped me in that. And, um, and has really helped me in terms mm. of delivering accurate messages accurate messages to players um so that that was the motivation for getting me for getting me back in but but you know also it's just little things like it's amazing how just having you know the kids now being being seven and five that does make a big difference from being you know three and one which yeah. is they were yeah. which is, they Absolutely. were when they stopped and you know and, and and my wife was into was into a new job she's setting a new job she was you know she was happy for for me to to, to get back into it and felt it was it's the right thing to do um and you know i will at some point I will do the same thing again. I don't yeah. know when, hmm. but at some point I will, I will stop again and, and I will have a break Who, when that's going to be absolutely no idea. Wouldn't want to put any timeline on it. Hmm. Um, 
and I'll, and I'll do the same thing and I'll, and I'll refresh and I'll, and I'll go again. You just can't keep going on this, on, on what is, you know, a very enjoyable treadmill, mm-hmm. but it is, but it, it, it is a treadmill and, and, it, yep. and it's hard. You know, we, we play at national two with friendlies. We play 34, 35 games yeah, a season. That's, that's a ton. You know, that's, that's two and a half seasons over here. Yeah. Traveling all over the country. You know, you leave home at seven o'clock in the morning, get back 11 o'clock at night sometimes. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you want to do it. And, you know, being, being brutally honest at, at national league level, you are paid to do it as well. You know, mm-hmm. there's no, there is no point denying, denying that fact, but mm-hmm. you can only do it for so long before mm. you burn yourself out and quite frankly the club realize actually you're burnt out as well and they need someone else to take the yeah. role on yeah. you know that does yeah. happen yeah no 100 percent. and you know at that national level two kind of cohort of players who are you know semi-professional and probably many have come through academy setups and things like that what, what are some of the challenges you face in terms of session design when you know, trying to balance out, say, a more contemporary coaching style to, say, focusing more on starter plays and, and set piece where the strengths were lying previously. Yeah, I I, th- I think you've again you've got you've got to go back to try and find a balance between what is it that's going to win you games, mm. but what is it that's going to get your players turning up to training every single Tuesday, Saturday, and be excited mm. about playing at the weekend. And the way I try and do it. Firstly, there's absolutely no right way of doing this at at all. It's so mm. hard. We probably try and have a balance where we might have, being very quite general here, kind of half the week might be, or half the, half the training session time in the week, very flowing, very open, unstructured games, you know, trying to, so not, trying to replicate, you know, what you get when you get after phase two or three mm-hmm. or after you get that line break. But balancing that off with understanding that again, and this is understand the level you're playing at. If mm. you can, if you can at national two have a really efficient set piece, if your starter plays can be on point, that can play a really big role in, in achieving success. Whereas when you're talking at the top of the game, because the defenses are so good, mm. because more defense are so good, because scrums are so scrums are so equal it maybe doesn't play as much of a role. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's very much picking, picking the right way to coach um, for, for, the, for, the, for the level you're at. But also, and this is where it comes back to understanding the players. When I coached at Loughborough, it was very much a group who just wanted to run around. They wanted to play games. Um, they hadn't been properly coached, I don't think, much before. And so a, a hugely games-based approach was ideal. Working with my group at Hinkley, who are, you know, and some of them, you know, in their 30s, they're gnarly, you know, they've been on building sites all day. Mm. Um, they've, uh, you know, they've only played one way. They turn up and they want to know, how am I going to get from A to B? How are <laughs> we going to win this game on the game on Saturday? And that that motivates them to a certain extent so it, it, it's I'm, I'm basically talking around and contradicting my own point here but that's mm. the that is the balance you have to try and try and achieve and sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong and the key thing is is when you get it right not get too high and when you get it wrong don't beat yourself too much up don't beat yourself yeah. up too much about it yeah no i think a lot of people will push for that you know there's never give them an answer to a question, always just pose more questions to to guide them through it. But 
I, I know myself as when I was a player and also doing some coach development at courses and things like that, eventually it gets to a time where you just got to be told, this is how I want it as your head coach or, you know, in whatever way you want to deliver it. And I think those older, more experienced players uh, will sometimes uh, need that uh, more than say a 20 year old. Yeah. And, to, and, and it's the, and I think it's one of the challenges with, you know, in, in this country with, and the league system the way it is, you know, the fact that players are played to be there, the fact that clubs want want success, you know, mm. people want to win games on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Um, and so as a coach, you, of course, want to try and do all you can to win games on a Saturday afternoon. And, and sometimes you can get the quick wins by saying we're going to do X, Y and Z and execute it and execute it really well. The challenge with that is, does that generate long-term learning and long-term mm-hmm. success? No, it it, 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 it doesn't achieve, achieve that because how much are you, because I don't believe you are learning that mm-hmm. much from it. Um, I mean, this is, this is actually where one of the, the few positives from a rugby perspective um, out of, out of COVID, to be honest with you, is the fact, although we certainly haven't trained all year because we've had so many breaks where we've been locked down and we've not been allowed to, when we have trained, we've basically just played loads of different types of condition games yeah, with, no, cool. with, no, with no pressure on them. Mm. And, it's been, and it's been awesome and it's been great. And as a coach, you're thinking, I've got to try and make sure that when we start back, we don't lose this from what we've been, mm. what we've been doing. And the real acid test is when you play, is when, you, is, when you, is when you're 0 from 2 after two weeks and someone's saying to you, you start winning some games next week, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, it's good. I think there's going to be some, you know, changes and light bulb moments uh, mm. post-COVID for, for players and coaches. So exciting and hopefully it quickens up and we can get back to it. All right. In the introduction, I mentioned that you had a role with Leicestershire Men's 15s program and that you were involved in the Bill Beaumont Division 2 title at Twickenham. Can you talk about that experience a little bit and what, what a bit more about the, the program there in general? Yeah. Uh, co- coaching county rugby is something completely, completely different because you. I think we had, we had two training sessions before mm. we played our first game. Yeah, and, and so so county coaching, it's not coaching in the form that you think about technical tactical. Mm. It, it's it's organisation, it's management, it's getting the right players in, um, and getting them very quickly, you know, to believe that that they can be can be a part of something. And we're very fortunate in Leicestershire in the fact we have a good history of, of getting to Twickenham. Um, I don't think we've we've lost as a county, we've lost more finals than we've won at Twickenham. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got there. So there was a lot of players there who, who, who saw the carrot and were excited about the opportunity of, of getting there, um, of get, of getting there again. Um, and, and it was an act. And, and that was one of those where you didn't actually feel that much pressure because there wasn't time to feel pressure. Mm. And we just got a great, a great team together of, of made up of, you know, with the best players that wanted to play. Cause you know, at that time of year, they've done a full season. Some players have had enough going back to that yeah. well-being and burnout thing. Yeah. Some people don't want to do an extra month um, of rugby. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it, and it was fantastic, you know, to, 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 to get there. Um, and, and from my point of view, as someone who is big on analysis, um, as I've kind of referred to by spending two years as an analyst, mm. 
it was an interesting challenge for me because we knew absolutely nothing about our opposition mm. and there was very little for us to be able to analyze on ourselves because we our first game we we got a walkover because the opposition struggled for a side then we won our second game 78 nil so there wasn't mm. a huge amount to pick up from that and then we basically had a semi-final to get to to get to twickenham um against the other side who were two 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 from two so um but it, it was a great experience and I would endorse county rugby to, you know, to, to anybody, you know, I think it's, it's just so unique. It's fantastic. Cool. And like I said earlier on, we keep the most important stuff till the end. You are an under sevens coach with Stowe on the wall. What's that experience been like? Uh, how, oh. how, diff- how different is that to every other bit of coaching you've ever done Cr- in your life? Crazy, crazy. <laughs> I was really, you know what, actually, when I was really unsure about taking it on mm. in, the, in, in the first place. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm like any other parent, you know, my, my son had kind of gone down to Stowe from about the age of four and done all like the really little rugby and stuff and mm. running around cones and all that kind of thing. And it got to the under sevens and it was a classic case of, well, who's going to, who's going to run this team. And, you know, I, 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 I felt someone, wrong. Someone but, pushed you in the back and you lunged forward. And they well, basically, <laughs> I felt I, I just felt wrong saying, you know, I can't not offer to do this. Mm. Um, but I was really unsure about it. And I really didn't know how I was going to do because I hadn't done anything below. I hadn't done anything below senior rugby since I last did school holiday camps. Blimey. When I was at university. So a mm. really long, a really long time ago. Yeah. Um, but do you know what? It's brilliant. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's absolutely brilliant because you, you see if, if there's nothing better than seeing a group of kids just running around, enjoying themselves and just seeing their brains tick over and tick and, <laughs> and, and, and tick and learn. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, when you, when you see them, when you see that moment drop and that there's, there's a couple, there's, there's, there's one particular kid actually who goes, who, um, is has not really done any sport before you know so mm. coming to rugby was the first thing and you know and he's and we had a, we had our first fixture um if you can call them fixtures at under yeah. seven yeah a week ago when he scored a try and at training on saturday he dived and pulled a tag off someone and, and just the joy on his face it, 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 awesome. it was brilliant it was it, yeah. it, it was brilliant what i would say though about coaching mini and junior rugby is i think we as as, as a sport as a country we need to be doing more to invest and develop our mini and junior coaches. Yeah. Yeah. Because coaching, coaching senior rugby is relatively easy compared to having to deal with a bunch of, a bunch, a bunch of kids who frankly, if they don't like what you're doing, they're just not going to do it. Seniors, <laughs> you can tell them what to do and whether they like it or yeah. not, they will just get on and do it. And it's only afterwards where if you've lost goes, Oh, well, it's your fault. Whereas if the yeah. kids don't want to do it, they they won't do it. Um, if you can't explain perfectly they won't get it if you don't find a way to keep them engaged they will just they will just drop out it is it it, it is a real craft in itself Mm. um and you know it was actually paul walsh who said to me isn't it weird in this country that the the coaches where where you are we have to be the most skillful at sevens eights nines tens Mm. are the ones who get the least out of the game and those where at the top of the game where arguably you don't are the ones getting the big money and it's true it's 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 true actually because these kids are 
you know, these kids are the group that keeps going going. But I, I do really, really, really enjoy it, actually. And it is and it, and it is great to see. And I am I am now very pleased I, I, I do. It. And it's great, actually, because it's something me and my wife do together. Oh, so, awesome. um, so she um, she helps she helps run the team as well. And so it's not. And, you know, my my daughter, who I'm hoping will start playing in a year or two, mm. comes down and sits on my shoulders and, and just blows the whistle at the most random times <laughs> um, and appears on the pitch. And, and, that, and it's great, actually, because we yeah. manage we manage to make something out of it. As a, mm. as, as a family which is really yeah. nice yeah that's important i've got a similar setup as well with a 10 year old seven year old and a five year old and we're the same my wife played rugby for 15 years so she, she's involved as well and yeah it's just really really enjoyable cool all right well we always end the show with the same final four questions when you were a kid growing up who was one of the players that really jumped out at you and and drew you into the game uh, it's 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 an obvious answer, I think, for my age group growing up. But I was, you know, I was a Johnny Wilkinson fanboy, really. And I think it was just, you know, I when I when I was growing up watching him, I remember there was one particular game. Uh, I went to England against Ireland at Twickenham in two thousand and two, um, which was the first time England went to number one in the world. It was eighteen months out from the World Cup, right? Um, and England were. Were, were brilliant that day it was widely regarded as one of their best ever performances and he he had, he had a fantastic game he scored a try he didn't score you know he didn't score many tries mm-hmm. um, I remember standing around outside the spirit of rugby at Twickenham for three hours after the game in the freezing cold managed to get his autograph cool. um, and it was and and, and 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 it was awesome but what what I loved about him actually I, I've come to appreciate this even more as I as I've grown up and got older was was how open he was about his flaws Mm. so flaws may, flaws maybe isn't the right word but you know he he had an it's probably not the right word at all but there was so much that went on around him which ultimately yeah. contributed to the player he was yeah but he never claimed or tried to give off this perfect image mm-hmm. and, I, and i think people like him have probably played a really big role i mean he, he might not have realized it in 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 the areas of, of well-being um and, and stuff being discussed within sport because yeah, he was probably one of the first, you know, players to really start to express themselves and show that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I mean, he still does now. Yeah. Um, in the stuff he does over here. So, so yeah, he, he's the only, he, he, I, he I'm, I'm very fortunate. And like a lot of people I've met a lot of, I've met a lot of professional players and, you know, and, uh, and you do with work, you end up meeting them, but he's still, he, he's still the one player who if who who if I saw I'd probably still be like a child in terms of <laughs> yes Mr Wilkinson lovely to see yeah. Mr Wilkinson <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah and um you know his his autobiography Johnny's a great read uh, if coaches haven't haven't yeah. yet read it all right what about now who are, who are some of the players running around that you enjoy watching I am I think what we're seeing out of um, Super Rugby Aotearoa is, mm. is really interesting particularly at, particularly at fullback you know if you look at if you look at people like you know, Geordie Barrett at the Hurricanes. Um, you've got you got Will Jordan, uh, who scored a fantastic try mm. um, at the weekend at the weekend for the Crusaders. Josh Ioani has been playing brilliantly there. You know, um, for the for for the, for the Highlanders, um, and you know you've got Bowden Barrett, who's going to be coming back from from Japan. You're wondering yeah. how he get how he gets into that team at the moment. So I, I think yeah. that the fullbacks in New Zealand at the moment, I think are, are really setting are really setting the bar, are, re- are really setting the bar high. But over here in the UK, I'm really enjoying watching Marcus Smith. Right, yeah. Um 
But uh, what I would also say about watching Marcus Smith is there's a massive clamour with Marcus Smith to get him in the England team mm. uh, because he's been playing so well for Harlequins. And, mm-hmm. and Harlequins have been a different team for the last 11 or 12 games. Really enjoyable to watch. Um, and Marcus Smith probably does need to get an opportunity in the England team soon. But what I'm slightly nervous about is, is everyone going to expect Marcus Smith to do what he's doing, running around in front of no fans on a, mm. on a, on a, on a, on a day at, at the stoop to being played next to 2000 people with a, with an all black back row running at him and a really organized defense, which is going to give England absolutely nothing. Mm. You know, that's, that's a different, that's a different game. And, I hope, and, and although I hope he gets a chance to England soon, I hope people don't expect too much of him because he is a fan. He's a brilliant talent. He's got so much about him. Um, and if he's managed and if he's managed well, I think he could probably be great for England over the next 10 years. Mm. But I can understand why he's not being picked for England at this point. Yeah. Okay, cool. And third question, what about coaches? Who are some of the high-profile coaches that you, you've enjoyed what they've done? Well, I'm 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 really enjoying what talking about Super Rugby again. I love watching the Highlanders because Tony Brown seems to be coming out yeah. with some out of the box play yeah. every week, which no it's one's pretty picked cool. up. Yeah, that is, that is pretty cool. And so I'm always scribbling down, and say what of the what of the what of the Highlanders done done this week. Um, I'm also really enjoying the way that Stuart Lancaster is coming out and talking a huge amount about leadership in rugby at the moment. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've uh, I I. I I've uh, I've been to a couple of seminars with him and I think he speaks really, really well. Um, I think he articulates his points fantastically. And I think it's brilliant. He's doing, he's being so well regarded uh, at Leinster because, mm. and, and, and Eddie Jones himself uh, acknowledged this. I think he's both in, in, in speaking, but also in his book, Stuart Lancaster did a huge amount for England. As over, he left. Over, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and Eddie has openly said how much he picked up from from the group that Stuart left behind mm. so so I think I think the business side of things and the way that he's he's presenting leadership and rugby is really is really cool and uh and I, I'm 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 really pleased his stock is rising again because I he really he really deserves it and plus he's really connected with community rugby mm-hmm. he's you know, he un- he really understands the community game. He talks so passionately about the community game, and I think that helps coaches like us who are in the community game, who've not been involved in that professional game, try and find a connection because we can see we can see that link. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. So yeah, so so he he's really good to listen to. Cool, awesome. And then final question: What about in the grassroots? Who's a coach out there who deserves some recognition and a shout out? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick two. I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick one one outside of rugby who's a who, who's a coach I work with. Um, my head of football at NTU called Tom Shaw, who is uh, he's also one of the pathway coaches at Lincoln. Cool. He's a recent he's a recently retired uh, player who, who's played for a, a number of clubs at national league level. And what I really like about them about him is that although he's got a fantastic knowledge of the game of football um he know he knows the games re- really really well he's being so open to trying to understand coaching pathways development attitudes mindsets philosophies mm. um and that's playing a huge role i think in the development of our university football program and in turn is what i believe is going to lead to the pathway we've created with with lincoln being a real mm-hmm. success um but also in the um in, in, in the community game, and you know, I've got to give a shout out to this guy because I remember picking him up from the Loughborough University swimming pool car park and driving him to his very first session as a player at Loughborough 
is um is a is a guy called uh St- Stephen Doofus who is the so he's now the head coach at um at Loughborough um he was the coach of the Leicester women when I was the Leicestershire Leicestershire men um and you know I think he's gone on a similar pathway to myself right limited playing history came to university picked up coaching at university mm. and I think he's doing a fantastic job from what you know although I'm not able to go and see him coach because we coach at the same time he's doing a great job at, at Loughborough which is a you know a club which is really important to me as I think I've I've expressed mm. um I've really getting that identity right for that level and is working really hard to understand the club so I think he he absolutely deserves to be credited for the work he's doing there awesome all right well thanks very much Chris for your time and you know it's been a really important chat I think uh, it's something that uh, I'm glad we had it because it's uh, coach well-being's as important as player well-being and uh, really good to explore those concepts with you so I want to thank you for coming on the show and giving up your time no no problem enjoyed it thanks for having me All right, perfect. Cheers.